Do you have one? You do. It's a Hebrew word, a core. It means trouble. We all have valleys of trouble. Some of us are in a deep one, some of us are in a shallow one, but we're constantly navigating because we're in a fallen world. We're not home yet. Hear what God says through the prophet Hosea. To you and me in whatever valley of a core, whatever valley of trouble that we're dealing with. Maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your relationship with a son or a daughter or mother or father. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's news from a doctor or an accountant. Maybe it's an addiction, a besetting sin. It's discouraged you. He refers to you and me as his bride. And he says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. And I will lead her into the wilderness. What? I want to be led out of the wilderness. Sometimes he leads us deeper into the wilderness until all we've got is him. But this is what he's going to do when he leads us deeper into the wilderness. He says, I will speak tenderly to you. And there I will give her back her vineyards. And I will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. I will transform that valley of trouble into a place of hope. I am the, the way maker. I am the miracle worker. I am the promise keeper. And then she will sing as in the days of her youth. That's what you and I are just doing. We're singing in the desert. Let's pray. Jesus, if any one of us were to become aware of every intricate detail of everyone's valley of trouble, even just in this room, it would overwhelm any human being, just in this room. And yet you are aware of not just all of our valleys, you're aware of the valleys of a core in this entire fallen world, and yet you are sufficient, you are enough for every burden, every challenge, every problem, every tear, every doubt. And I, I ask this this morning, that you would elevate my brothers and sisters in Christ, their view, would you elevate my view? And our new friends here who might not yet be followers of Jesus but are investigating, maybe kicking the tires a bit. Even elevate their view. Elevate our view of who you are. Not as a religious mascot. But as the way maker through the desert. The one who restores a song 
to us while we're in the desert. So would you teach us a little bit more about that now? Jesus, I just, I marvel at this event that your disciples recorded, wrote down for history. But it's more than just an interesting story. It's about you being the way maker in each of our lives. So we acknowledge you as our teacher. We submit before you and we want to listen well. And we pray this in the name of the one who is the way as well as the truth and the life. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. this is? It's an abacus. It takes me, I have to really focus on pronouncing it correctly. It's actually not an abacus, it's a, it's an ancient Phoenician iPhone. It's what all the kids had. They all wanted an abacus and uh, you, but you, you know, you can't do anything with it except for calculate, but for centuries, thousands of years. It's been a tool of calculation. Because we're calculating people. You might not be a numbers person, but you're a calculating person. We, we like to look at our odds. We like to, to assess resources. Do we ha have enough? We like to look at statistics. By the way, congratulations to all the Washington Nationals fans here. We're glad both of you are here. Um, were you guys aware there was a World Series this week? Okay, all right. I, uh, I, I actually, Arlene and I watched a, a couple of the games, and I tell you what, it was a World Series for the ages because it was a statistician's dream, the statistics that, that kept coming out. And they would just, I, and I don't know if they've given, they've hired a bunch of new statisticians, it just seemed like this year more than normal. Uh, it was statistic after statistic. Or would Joe Buck at times say this is, it's been 34,718 days since October the 10th, 1924, when the Washington Senators last won the World Series. All right then. But there are tons of other statistical things like uh, it was the first World Series in history that, anybody know the answer? There are actually several answers, but what's one of them? Yeah, so the, no home team won during the entire seven games. It was all, always the visiting team. I just need a few amens to that because that can change your life right there. You guys are looking at me saying, where are you going with this? Why do they use so many statistics? Because we like them. We're calculating people. We might not always calculate that well, but we're always interested in the numbers, the comparisons. So I want you to take a quiz right now. I'm going to give you an equation. I want you to answer it quickly. I'll read it out loud. We're going to put it on the screen. This is from a guy named uh, 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 Daniel Kahneman. He wrote a book that he's a Nobel Prize winning economist. Here's the equation. I want you to answer quickly. A bat and a ball cost, since we're on baseball subject, a bat and a ball cost $1.10, $1.10. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? The majority of people say 10 cents. 
And Conrad says, you know, and the, the, the name of the book is Thinking But Fast and Slow. He says, typically, it, it, it's intuitive to say 10 cents, but it's wrong. And we're often doing the knee-jerk response, the knee-jerk assessment, the knee-jerk calculation, because all of us have an abacus in our hearts regarding our resources and what needs to happen. The, you're saying, well, what's the answer? The answer is five cents, because if it were 10 cents, the total would be $1.20. And some of you are saying, I don't believe it. Take a fit picture with your, your abacus and uh, take a photo and then look at it later. Don't have time to do it any longer. So the deal is... We go often with our knee-jerk responses, and it's not there. And I want you to put a pause button. Let me tell you, remind you where we are. We're taking a journey at different segments throughout the, the year, and we're, we'll have breaks. We'll break again for Advent, but we're going through John's Gospel. We're calling this series Awaken, because that's the, the summons of the Gospel. It's not, hey, why don't you get religion? No, it's awaken to your your calling as a human being, awaken to who God is and how much He loves you. And it's not just figured, if it's a literal, supernatural awakening, when I, who is dead in my transgressions and sins, come alive. Our vision here is engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. And it's because of that gospel summons of being awakened on a daily basis of who we are to live as men and women, to the glory of God. What's our calling? Jesus said in John 10, 10, it's where we get the vision statement from. He says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. It's not a self-improvement thing, even though we will be improved in the way we live our lives. It's a restorative declaration. It says, you are intended to thrive, to flourish to the glory of God. Even if I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm still created in His image, can still enjoy laughing and crying and playing and creating. But there's something powerful that happens when I acknowledge my sin that's a barrier between the Father and me. I confess it. I acknowledge Christ's payment on the cross to, to be forgiven of that sin and the, the passageway once again to be able to re relate with Him in intimacy in a life-giving way. So John's Gospel, he said, hey, I've, I've written my Gospel that you may believe that, the, that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you may have life in His name. So all of these chapters in John's Gospel are unpacking what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. He says, I've come that you might have life, have it to the full. And you can see these lessons, Him wanting to instruct us, this is how you live. So we come to a passage that a lot of people are somewhat familiar with in John chapter 6. It's the feeding of a ton of folks. It's not just 5,000. They recorded, as was tradition, the, the, the number of men there is, but when women and children added, it's probably 12,000. If you've got your Bible, start reading with me. If you don't, take a look on the screen. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, just pick one up as our gift outside. And you can also, I think, go online and get one for your phones as well. Verse 1, John 6, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. Aren't you glad I muted it? Uh, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. And the Jewish Passover festival was near. Notice all the details that John's including. See, John's an old man when he's writing this. He's the only one to not, of the disciples to not be martyred. 
He was persecuted for his faith in Christ, but as an old man, he's reflecting back. And I'm sure as he, and the other three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already written their gospels. So John's bringing some nuances uh, uh, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the others had, and I'm sure he's smiling when he's recalling this. Then when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, look at what John writes next, because he, he knows the rest of the story at this point. He said, he asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, we would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Just, just a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. Just love the detail. And they sat down. About 5,000 about 5, men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had, what? What? When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, uh, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So there was a need, and the disciples had their abacus in their hearts. Okay, we've got a need here, and we've got three, maybe a couple more pieces. Here's some fish, some barley bread. I mean, maybe we'll find somebody else with a candy bar. Jesus, it's not enough. He's teaching them what does it look like to be fully alive, and part of it is engaging with the fact that he's enough. John said he was doing these things to teach them, but they had their, their heart's abacus going on. So here's, here's what I want you to do right now. You've got a—I asked you a moment ago, do you have a valley of a core, a valley of trouble, a valley of stress that you're in? And don't anybody shake your head, because we'll know you're lying. Some of us have a big one, some have a small one. Our lives navigate through that. Whatever it is, whatever is causing you that trouble, that feeling of overwhelmed distress at work or uh, in your relationships or at home or health-wise, uh, addictions, temptations, uh, depression, wh wh whatever it might be, bring it to the forefront and pay attention to what your heart's abacus is calculating, because what causes us stress is to say, I've got this 
this situation with my son and there's not enough, there's not enough emotional energy, there's not enough uh, forgiveness, there's not enough time, uh, whatever it might be. We're all, when, and the, the, our internal abacus is what produces the stress because we're calculating. Remember, we're, we're calculators. Even if we're not numbers people, do I have enough to make it through this challenge? And in every one of the gospel writers, all, all four of them, they did their abacus. And they said, no way. I mean, go through them. Here's John again in, six verse, in chapter 6, verse 7, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Matthew, this is how Matthew put it, verse 14, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. Look at what Luke says, the doctor. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat? And Luke records, they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Look at what Mark says, verse 37, Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. So there's always this, you give them something to eat, you give them something to eat, you find what you need, you find enough. And they did the calculus, they did the, the calculating in their, their hearts abacus, they said to them, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give them something to eat? Remember, John says at the end of his life as an old man, Jesus was writing this, he already knew what was going to happen, but he was testing them. He was wanting them to acknowledge, this is what your heart's abacus says in your valley of a core, whatever that point of stress is, this is what you say, you say, man, this is about all I can come up with. And what Jesus is wanting to teach them, what it means to be fully alive as you and I are walking as followers of Jesus according to the power of the Spirit, learning to walk in faith is understand. When Jesus is in the mix, it's not this, it's this. He says, I will be enough and I will be more than enough. What we typically do is some natural math. And we, we, I did this equation a few years ago, you know, you got five loaves plus two fish plus six months wages, that's enough. We don't have six months wages, so we're in deep, deep trouble. Jesus says, that's not the math I want you to do. You're doing math in a natural way. Gospel math is this, five loaves plus two fish plus one Jesus is enough. And so in whatever you're dealing with, whatever, I, absolutely. It's the beauty of the gospel, and it's not, it is not in the context of him being a genie. It's the context of him being the king of all creation and enough. So that's why I said to you when you, uh, I, I greeted you earlier, we've gathered to celebrate that he's enough. So how do you connect with that? Well, I looked up this week, you know, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, they added about 1,100 words this past year. Oxford added 880 new words. I want a new word put in the dictionary, and the word is enoughness. The problem is they're probably not going to go for it because the only way to grapple with the true meaning of that word is a pronoun needs to go in front of it, God's enoughness. How do you and I connect with God's enoughness? You go through this text, there are four connection points. Let me just review them with you. Number one, 
Whenever, whatever, remember, you've got that valley of a core, that valley of trouble, that relationship, that financial thing, that spiritual, to, 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 w w that thing that is keeping because of the internal abacus, the stress that's being produced saying, we, I just don't have enough. How do I get to trusting Him enough through this? First, seeing His enoughness. Do you see it? Every one of these lessons the disciples were learning, they were cumulative lessons. Jesus said, I want to teach you to be fully alive, and, and to be fully alive is to be united with me in such a way, in such intimacy, that you know me, and you know that I'm enough. And you go through that, that, that passage early on, you're looking all the way through, and you're, you're, you're starting to catch. The disciples, they were getting to know Jesus. But they were learning the implications of that, of who he was. So whatever your valley, you're standing, I'm standing in the midst of a couple of valleys of a core right now, which I'm overwhelmed, and I'm thinking, my abacus is pretty depressing. And what Jesus says is, take a look at my enoughness. Do, do you, Matt, do you know who I am? Christian uh, Herder was a the Secretary of State of the United States back in the, the 50s. He also was a two-time governor of Massachusetts. And as he, when he was running for his second term as governor of Massachusetts, he was kind of going through all the, doing the campaign trail, and he was at a church uh, potluck, kind of like we're going to have this afternoon. At, um, late one afternoon, it was a Saturday afternoon, it had been a very long day, and so he's going through the line. And uh, I don't know if you, you know the word, you guys know the word hangry? Yeah. Men, do you know that word hangry? Your, your wives know the word hangry. Our wives know when we get hangry. Well, he was a little hangry. He's tired, going through the line, but, you know, still being cheerful. And so he gets to the end, and he's so hungry, he hasn't eaten all day. And the woman is, has got the barbecue chicken, and she's got her tongs, and she's putting a piece on everybody's plate. And uh, she gave him one, and he says, I, man, that looks good, I, and I am so hungry. Could I have another, another piece of chicken? She said, nope, sorry, we've only got enough for one per person. Did I mention he was hungry a little bit? He looked at her and he said, do you know, do you know who this, do you know who I am? This, this event is for me. I, I'm the governor of Massachusetts. She's about in her early 80s. She looked at him and said, do you know who I am? I'm the woman in charge of the chicken. <laughs> and you can have one piece of chicken. Whenever I'm sitting in the midst of that valley of trouble, the first thing that Jesus calls me to is to remember who He is, to see Him. C.S. Lewis said, he who has God has many other things. He who has God in many other things has no more than he who has God alone. Do I believe that? Do I believe Jeremiah 32, verse 27, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too difficult for me? I believe Romans 8, 31, if God is for us. Who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? A person's view of God is the most significant thing about them. Do I have a high view of God or a low view of God in the midst of my what? This whole abacus that I do, if I am not engaging with an accurate view of who God is, and an accurate view means I'm not seeing him as a genie. The, the multitude in this story saw him as a genie. Oh, this is great. But he was teaching his disciples. And he was teaching them a high view of his enoughness, his sufficiency, who he is. He's not a Santa Claus who kind of doles out little gifts to get people to like him. He's the Savior of the world and the one who goes to the core and the root of all of our stress, which is our sin, and then works us through how do we process that? How do we unpack that on a daily basis? He's not a cold dictator. He's a loving father. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He's a wise protector. He's not a little old man up in heaven who needs friends. He's the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe who knows the number of beats left in your chest. And he says, I'm enough. I love you. I'm not your genie. I'm not here to take care of all your wants, but all of your needs. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to His riches, the glory in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need, maybe not want, for a godly life. And part of maturity is me learning to not let my needs or my wants cause me stress. Unfulfilled wants, it's not an occasion for sure. Unfulfilled needs, yes, until I say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. You guys remember Psalm 4610 from our Calibrate series? Remember our Calibrate series? Be still, verse 10, Psalm 46, and know that I'm God and I'll be exalted among the nations, I'll be exalted in the earth. Be still for a moment in the midst of that storm and say, okay, what's causing me stress is I see that I've got these resources, five loaves, two fish, that's not enough. But there's Jesus. I want to take a look at His enoughness right now and realize Matthew 7 from verse 9. He says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to good, good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You're not an orphan. And we think, I've got to figure this out, and then come to Jesus with the solution. He said, you're not going to come up with it without without me. So it's seeing his enoughness, and then once we, we, we calibrate basically our view of God, being still and knowing that he alone is God, then it's time to move. It's time to act according to what we see. So the second 
and third and fourth all kind of fall in place, but the second is then I need to step into His enoughness. If I'm going to taste His enoughness and experience, I got to step in. First I need to see His enoughness. And if I'm not seeing it in this moment, I need to get along with Him. If it's five minutes of praying or five hours of praying, if it's getting into the Word, I, I've got to evaluate my view of who He is and what He's up to in my life, to it, it, restoring that high view of God, not shrinking Him to a Santa Claus or a dictator or a killjoy, but elevating Him to the loving Father, the supreme Creator and sustainer of the universe and the one who loves me deeply. And once I've got that cleared up, then I'm to take a step. And I'm to step in faith into his enoughness. Verse 10 says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, I want you to grasp what's going on there. That was a step of faith. The disciples trusted him enough to do that. Now, do you really think the people wouldn't have said, why are we sitting down? Of course they, they oh, okay, why are we sitting down? Well, we're about to feed you, hoping Jesus takes care of this. It's a step of faith. And throughout Scripture you see this happening where God gives us enough not before we take the step, but as we're taking the step. The children of Israel exiled for centuries, coming back into the Promised Land, coming from Egypt, if you're looking at a map, coming over and then crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Joshua chapter 3, verse 7, and the Lord said to Joshua, today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that He will certainly drive out before you. All those points of stress, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girkishites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan. Jordan, listen, as soon as they set foot, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Not before. Listen, I want you to get that. And they were a desert people. Hundreds of years they'd been in the desert. They're terrified of water. Nobody knew how to swim. I keep going with some of the details. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. So they're not just walking in with wetsuits and little inner tubes. They don't know how to swim, and they're walking in carrying this enormous Ark, very large box with the Ten Commandments. A rod through each end, and so it's on their shoulders, so four of them. 
Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Listen to some of the details. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Ad, at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. That particular section of the Jordan River, even to this day, it's can't, it can't I'm inventing words all over the place, canyony. You know what I mean? Lots of canyons, steepness. It was not wading in, so it was one inch, two inches deep, three. When you stepped in, you were stepping in. It was going to be over your, I mean, you were, you, you were making a commitment. A steep embankment, they're going down. These guys were terrified, and they had been assured, when your feet touch the water, that's when he will be enough. If I'm dealing with some of this, I've got to take a look at his enoughness, and then I've got to get my feet wet. I've got to say, God, what is it that I need to do right now that if you don't come through, all of a sudden, I'm going to drown? Well, what is it? Not being irresponsible, but what is it that's going to take for me to trust you? Jesus was teaching them. I don't know, Sean, are you in, are, is, I don't know, I, Sean Cooper, you're around? No. Okay, that was your voice. All right, there we go. Uh, next week, Sean's going to be looking at the next, that, that night, something that happened. And it's something that, um, that Peter had to apply what he had just learned that day. The story's in the middle of a storm, and Jesus says, take a walk on some water here, Pete. It's saying, I've got to trust you, I've got to trust you, take that step. All right, so here we go. I did this kind of uh, on the fly last night. Are you, are you ready for this? I'm nervous. All right. So, what I'm going to do is stand right here, and I'm going to fully commit to sitting down. And I'm just reviewing, are Sean and I okay? Because if we're not, Ethan's going to take it out on me right now. So, but I'm going to, can I trust you? I hope so. All right. We're about to find out. Okay. That, that doesn't fill me with, can I trust you? Yes. Thank you. So, I'm going to sit down on the count of three. Three, two, one, or? One, two, three. All right. Are, are we ready? We're ready. One, two, three. So, I mean, I love Sean, and I try, but there was still that moment. I'm going to get the video and do a, a slow motion of, is it going to be there or not? But that's stepping into, I'm just stepping into Sean's enoughness there. Now, contrary to Jesus, Sean was a little nervous. Jesus is not nervous about you trusting him. He says, I've got this. Step into my enoughness. I've, I'll be enough. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. When I'm exhibiting trust in him, I then obey him. 
And as I obey him, that's when I experience his enoughness. We say, we want you to be enough and then we'll obey you. He says, no, trust me. Obey me. Take, take a step. In that valley of a core that you're dealing with, whatever it is, what's the step you need to take today? Might be a little one, might be a big one. What's Holy Spirit conveying to you right now that will demonstrate that you trust Him? And then come the last two. I'm going to ask Jenny and Josh to come out. We're going to just close this time with some worship, doing a couple of things. One, the third connection point is then we savor His enoughness. Just in that moment, once you've you've trusted Him to say, Jesus, thank you. Oh, not everything was taken care of, we still got a ways to go, but you're beginning to make a way in the desert. And I'm going to trust you for a little bit more and a little more. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord's good. It's not, hey, what have you done for me lately, Jesus? It's, I just love you. And you know, right now, you could say that about something going on in your journey. I don't know what, where he's been enough. And you can savor it. Can you imagine sitting in that crowd, these hungry people, and they're chomping away what the disciples were encountering? They're looking at each other and saying, we should have trusted him more. This is awesome. And then the fourth is serving up his enoughness. The fourth connection point. I see his enoughness. I I step into it. I savor it. But then I serve it up to others. Whatever he's up to in our lives, we're not to keep it to ourselves. We're to give it away. Give his life away. Give his resources away. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give, 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 and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I don't think it's any coincidence that I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with health-wise for this message. Jesus, okay, I'm going to get dressed, I'm going to head over to the church. I'm going to trust that you're going to give me a voice. What is it that you and I need to see about him? What is it we need to then step into and to say, I'm going to take this course of action because I trust you. And then along the way, savor it, worship him. And then say, I need to steward this. I need to, I need to serve his enoughness up to somebody else in my life. Would you just take a few moments right now where you're seated and just open your palms. Jenny's going to sing over you. She's going to vocalize what the psalmist says in Psalm 23, because the Lord is my shepherd. I've got all that I need. I shall not be in want. It's 
what we proclaimed earlier. What is it that you need right now? Stare at your open palms and saying, Jesus, if you don't come through with this, I won't have enough. See it. Let him speak to you about how to step into it. Savor what he's already given you. And just think about how this community will be different because the people at Northland have tasted that he's enough.